Join Ringer staff writer Nora Princiati and Ringer contributor Nathan Hubbard for every single album, Taylor Swift. They're breaking down every one of Taylor Swift's albums leading up to the re-release of Fearless. Along the way, they'll be talking about the impact and legacies of each album, searching out Easter eggs, and assessing Taylor Swift's overall impact on the music industry. Find it on the Ringer Dish feed on Mondays and Thursdays on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thank you to Yola Tango, as always, for the intro music. We are joined today with Peter Serpico, the great chef of Serpico in Philadelphia and Pete's Place. One of the best chefs I've ever worked with. I think one of the most underrated, best chefs America's ever produced. And uh, somebody that helped us open up Momofuku Co. And I just think he's one of the most original thinkers of technique and his food is just fucking delicious. So if you haven't had it or you're planning to visit Philadelphia, please do so. And listen to this podcast for details of his book coming up. So pre-order that. And at the end of this podcast, he gives you some insight about how he thinks. And there's some really killer cooking tips that I think only someone like Peter can come up with. Incredibly useful, incredibly pragmatic. And this is a dad's podcast. Dad's installment. And Pete's been a dad a few years longer than me and a great one at that. And I think it's funny because we go into the real difference between professional cooking and home cooking. So that's coming right up. But before I get into that, a couple things I wanted to talk about. One is it looks like, God willing, that we're on track to probably have this insane summer of gluttony slash food orgy uh, that will not only be great for diners, but workers of restaurants and restaurants themselves. Hopefully that lasts forever. I am beyond excited about that. But again, like right now, that's where it looks like projecting. And let's hope that we get to that point. But I think I just quickly want to ask everybody, if you have an idea about what we do for the restaurant industry to sort of mitigate the lack of, you know, after this food extravaganza this summer that hopefully will last as long as possible ends. What happens when workers don't go back to work as often as they do? Not every worker. You know, I read that a lot of investment banks are saying that's impossible. You have to come to work. Clearly not every worker that works in tech uh, and a lot of the tech companies that you don't, you can electively work anywhere you want forever. I don't know how realistic that is for many employees, but 
I think that's going to have, I don't know if it's a negative, but I don't know what it's going to look like for so many businesses. And if people don't go to work at least one day a week in an urban center, let's say New York City, the bodega coffee, bacon, egg, and cheese, the salads, the happy hours, the private dining room, the the corporate wine list, expense account type things get less. And in in an industry where the margins are relatively low, that could have a, a pretty substantial impact. And I think we have some time between now and then to prepare for it. And restaurants aren't going away, guys. I'm happy that there's relief coming for a variety of Americans and industries, but the restaurant industry is going to need to figure some things out. And it's here to stay. People are going to visit them like crazy. I certainly will. No, not all food will be delivered, but a lot of food will still be delivered. So we need to answer a lot of questions. And it's a reminder to me to think about how we innovate recommend everyone listen to the podcast we recently did with Safi Bacall, author of Loon Shots, about some of the ideas he had for helping our business. And I guess I'm talking about this as a a way to sort of maybe test out our hypothesis about the future of restaurants. And if you're listening, if you have an idea as a diner, as as a, a worker in the hospitality sector, what are some ways we can be prepared for a new sort of, um, new world order of, how people eat out. I don't know if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. I hope to be wrong. So I'll table that. Just leave it out there to think about. It's probably, not probably, it's definitely part of a larger conversation, but I wanted to sort of plant that seed so it's something that shouldn't be new to anybody. Um, Secondly, I was brought a Philippe's French dip today. And if you're not from Los Angeles, it is in downtown Los Angeles, uh, actually near Major Domo, and in Chinatown. And it's one of my most favorite restaurants I've ever been to. I love it. And talking about getting to eat at restaurants on the regular again, certainly going to be a place that I'm going to go when um, restaurants open up. Well, you can, but like to dine inside in Philippe's is is something else. It's It's truly one of my most favorite places in the world. There's like sawdust on the floor. They have like antique water fountains. They have a convenience sort of candy newspaper stand up front. It's bi-leveled, two floors, and you order in these rows of, you know, people queue up and you get a number. It's You pick up your food. The whole thing is amazing. And it doesn't make any sense. And I love every bit of its sort of <laughs> uh, nonsensical nature. It's just a beautiful thing. And I wish more restaurants didn't make sense like, Philippe's. But what I also love is it's, they say it's the home of the French dip and you can get beef, pork, uh, lamb, and they have great coleslaw, macaroni salad, and you can get a double dip. I think you can get a triple dip, but I like a double dip and the horseradish mustard type of thing they have. The mustard there is great. It reminds me very much of Kozlik's mustard in Canada. And it dawned on me that not all restaurants are restaurants that I think about eating. And like I had unfortunately forgotten about how much I loved Philippe's because going to Major Doma, the restaurant, I'd always drive by it and I would go there all the time. But going a different route now, not coming from the east, I don't drive past it. So I was like, shit, I'm making that at the top of my list of restaurants that I'm going to go back to to eat inside when I, I can. And I was just going to tell you all that you guys should all make a list 
right now of the restaurants you want to eat at, dude, like top 10, top 20, top 100 list. But for me, I'm certainly putting Philippe's in the Los Angeles area and the sandwich was delicious. I did, uh, man, I miss it so much. And it got me thinking that one of my most favorite foods to eat in general is a French dip sandwich. And it's, this is, you can get the, the jus on the side, the salty, salty, salty beef broth, but man, like Houston's, Hillstone's has a sick French dip. I'll tell you, any place that, and it don't have me, like any place that serves French dip, really any place, I'm ordering it. French dip sandwich with horseradish and spicy mustard. It's like the only time I want spicy mustard on anything is one of my most favorite things to eat. And one thing that's very underrated is dipping your French fries into that, that beef jus and a little bit of pickle, a side of potato salad or macaroni salad. Just one of the best things. I love it so much. And Philippe's has its own flavor, its own style. But man, like if I go to a place and it has French dip, I'm ordering it. It's also one of those things that doesn't deliver that well because you're soaking the bread a lot of the time. So I put that in one of the foods that I can't wait to eat in dining in the restaurant itself because I think it's, you know, besides sort of yeah, counter like sushi, I weirdly put French dip up there too. Yes, it actually travels well. And yes, the French dip I had today was incredibly delicious from Philippe's, but it's still better when you're there. And like almost all foods, it's better when you're there. So shout out to the French dip sandwich. Shout out to Philippe's and uh, go get yourself French dip. I will shut up let you get into our conversation with Chris Yang and myself talking to the great, great Peter Serpico. We are dead. We are dead. We are dead. We have children, so we are dead. We are joined with... My longtime friend, haven't seen in a while, Peter Serpico, uh, one of the best chefs in the country, one of the best chefs that I know, and one of the best dads uh, I know as well, and one of the first dads I've known. Welcome, Peter. It's been a long time. Nice. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate the kind words as well. We haven't done a dad's podcast in a while, and... I was watching on your Instagram stories and, and we were talking before we started to record, you turned into quite the handyman uh, <laughs> during the pandemic, even before the pandemic. And uh, you're going to do a little drywall action on your shower. And uh, having water damage near the bathroom is one of the worst things that can happen. So I, I feel for you and I'm hoping, hoping for the very best. Let me ask you this. If, if you didn't have kids, if you didn't have a, a, a family to worry about, would you uh, be in such a rush to fix that if you were just a bachelor man? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I think I would go the route where maybe if I ignore it, it will just go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the luxury of a non-dad life that I've missed so much. Just like, yeah, black mold, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I've known Pete a very, very, very long time. I mean, Jesus Christ, damn near 20 years. And... Did you ever think that Dad Serpico could ever evolve out of single 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 bachelor cook Serpico? Uh, well, I mean, I've I've always wanted a family. That was like my long term goal. I didn't think about it every day, but 
No, I, I don't know. I, I, it just kind of happened. We kind of, we planned on it a little bit, but it just, it just happened. And uh, here we are. I mean, what a trip. I'm still going through it. You, you, you have a daughter that's a few years older than Hugo and Chris has two kids. Um, and whenever I talk to people or bump into people from old, they just can't believe that I'm like, dad. <laughs> and it makes me feel old. But also I'm like, I don't care. This is like, this is way better than anything else that I was doing. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the exact same way. Um, yeah, my daughter's five now. She's in kindergarten. It's great to see all the steps. Um, she's at the point now where she's got a little bit of attitude. Uh, well, <laughs> actually, a lot, a lot of attitude. Coming from who, who she take after more, you or Julie? Well, my wife would say all the bad attributes uh, are from me, <laughs> and all the all the responsible stuff is from her. But I would say it's a, it's a good mix of both. Um, one of the things that. I've learned that I never really did. And I know you're the same way. We never cooked at home until we had a family, never. right? Like never. Can you explain? Because a lot of people may not believe that to be true. Well, I remember when I was a, a like a line cook coming up, you know, I, you had your apartment. You always had a lot of roommates uh, that usually uh, hated you and you hated them. <laughs> um, and then... There was just this idea that like if you went if you wanted to cook something, you would have to buy all the ingredients, salt, pepper included. Um, you didn't have oil. So all of a sudden uh, it became this like this this idea that like it was impossible. You'd have to go to the bodega, you'd have to spend twenty five dollars and all you would have is your pantry ingredients. <laughs> um, so uh, the only time that I would actually cook is uh, whenever I would go see my parents uh, for holidays and stuff. And then I would just bite off way more than I could chew and just go down in burning flames. Um, I would set off the fire alarm. Uh, my parents would say everything was too salty. So my dad eventually just told me I wasn't allowed to cook. Um, and he also, also, I made, I made all the, uh, too many dirty dishes. Because <laughs> your, your thing was like, I got to come back from the big city and show these my parents like how, how cool I am, all this cool stuff I can do. And they're exactly. like, no, thank you. Nothing. <laughs> what? Who's going to clean all this shit up? You know? I mean, just cut and paste that story for me. Same thing. <laughs> Everything you just said. I don't like mom. My, my mom was like, I don't like your food. It's too salty. Um, <laughs> and you make too much mess. <laughs> yeah. How did the sort of the ice thaw for you to become a home cook? And, you know, when did that happen? Was it when your wife was carrying the baby or was it the first three months? When did the, when did it start to change? You're like, wait, anything I thought about cooking professionally just doesn't really matter at home. Um, yeah, I, I would probably say when my wife was pregnant, uh, we, uh, you know, we do the whole farmer's market on Sundays at the head house market. Um, we would try to eat healthier, get like vegetables and stuff and just kind of make a day of it. Um, and then we just kind of carried that through throughout, uh, the, you know, Charlie growing up. Um, so it's just, become, it's kind of, it just kind of blossomed into that. Uh, we go grocery shopping a lot more as a family. I realized we, you know, we do the H Mart trip. So, important. um, yeah, yeah. I feel like um honestly for uh for me and my wife, that's probably our only time together just cuz she's going to school full time. So if I uh 
if I say, hey, like one random Sunday, let's go to H Mart. There's just like cheers throughout the house, you know? <laughs> <laughs> My daughter loves it. And then she just knows that means like a ton of snacks for her. And, uh, you know, we, we load the freezer up with uh, all the all the Korean meats and stuff. So everyone's super happy about it. I feel the same way when I go by myself. It, it is <laughs> so much fun going to H Mart. And you're going to a Super H Mart, one of the big boys, right? Oh, yeah. And there's a new one that just opened, like a massive one that opened. Uh, it's probably 20, 20, 25 minutes from Philly. <laughs> so now we have two choices, two H Marts. Oh, man, that's <laughs> truly... I don't, I don't know that other people... Understand that, like that's an exciting thing. Like a grand opening of a new H Mart or 99 for like Asian people is truly a moment uh, of celebration. I think. What are you cooking more these days? Normal food or Korean food? Uh oh, I probably say uh, I probably say it's fifty fifty. Uh, before it was not much Korean food at all, but because of the cookbook and stuff, oh, we've just had those ingredients around all the time. I, I live that super dad life now. I got a chest freezer in the basement. <laughs> you know, that's like my biggest accomplishment in the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, you got to organize a chest freezer and then you got to take inventory on it. And you're always like <laughs> thinking about what's in it. Um, you know, I have like soups and stews from last year that I've uh, stockpiled. Um, so I'm just always like, uh, uh, I'm always in and out of it, you know? <laughs> You're sort of running it like restaurant family meal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I'll take like two or three things and put them together and make a meal, you know? So what, what is the one thing that you sort of just like let go? Like you don't bring over any of the standards from restaurant cooking to home cooking. For me, it is shelf organization. I've just, I'm, I, I don't care. Like I, I care, but I don't care. I don't, everything else runs pretty tight. Maybe I should sharpen my knives more. And Pete is an excellent knife sharpener. But do you have anything where you're like, man, I really need to tighten that up at home? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, uh, I would definitely say the knife sharpening thing. I'll use, <laughs> I'll use basically a spoon to cut anything now. And then uh, uh, cleanliness. <laughs> 100, cleanliness, 100%. I'll just leave shit out. You'll come back to the cutting board and then like there'll be like dried stuff on the knife or like vegetable scraps that are just, you know, I'll be like, oh, wow, there's ants on this. And I'm like, eh, oh, well, I guess I got to throw that away. <laughs> but I assume you're like Dave where that's like a one way membrane. It's not like you go back to the restaurant and you're like, oh, my cleaning standards are now lower. Like it's a one way thing. Like home, there's a there's a there's a line, right? Home cooking and professional cooking like Dave doesn't. Dave does, has given up shelf organization at home, but it has not affected the restaurant organization, right? No, yeah, not for me personally. He's a pretty tidy dude. Yeah, you're pretty tidy too at home, right? I'm fighting a never-ending battle of tidiness over here because two things, two two huge uphill battles for somebody who's tidy is one, Pete, you alluded to it, like snacks. Like kids' snacks all come in unmanageable fucking packages, bags that won't stay straight in the shelf. Just like everything is a different size, and I cannot, I don't have huge pantry space. So, like, finding places for all my daughter's crunchy fried things uh, is a disaster. And it's one of those situations where you open the cabinet and just hundreds of bags of half eaten potato chips might fall on you. And the other is like, my wife gaslights me and makes me feel like a psychopath when I'm like, 
this part of the refrigerator is for baby stuff. This part over here is for fresh foods. This is for the leftovers. And I, she's usually a very clean person, but um, I have a uh, unending battle to keep my refrigeration Dewey Decimal System in place. I got a question for you guys. Pete, when you check into your chest freezer or you're sort of shuffling through your fridge and you find something that you missed and is delicious, could be a stew, could be a head of lettuce, could be anything, and you just missed it and it's rotting and there's no way to salvage it, that's a real low point for the week. I get so <laughs> mad at myself. I can't even, I just don't even know what to do. It sort of ruins me. I really hold myself to a high standard, but it continues to happen. And the other day I threw out some green beans. And I'm like, how the fuck did it get mold on it? How the mm -hmm. fuck did I miss this? I'm so fucking stupid. <laughs> you guys have to make the same mistakes, correct? A hundred percent. All the time. <laughs> I, have, I have a secret. So my secret is, is that when I throw it away, I don't put it on top of the garbage can. I do the I same thing. It, I put it in the middle. So therefore, <laughs> is, you don't have to think about it all the time. And the next time you open the trash can, it's like it never happened. Same yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, my favorite move with that is if I have like a big can of tomatoes that I opened up or any kind of can or jar, I stuff it into the jar and then put it in the middle of the trash bin. So it's, yeah. it's like a double yeah. protection to protect me from my stupidity. Just again, <laughs> yesterday when I pulled out the green beads, I pulled out a bag of Honsumeji mushrooms that I got from H Mart. I don't remember when. There was mold growing on my fucking mushrooms. <laughs> I was so mad. I was so goddamn mad. I'm still mad, you know? And, uh, uh, nothing is worse. The garbage tran trick is, is especially funny to me because you're really only hiding it from yourself. <laughs> you're like, I don't want to see this again when I open the garbage can. It's not like anybody else in your house is going to be like, why'd you let these green beans go? <laughs> it's just you and your personal shame. Speaking of green beans and sugar snap peas, are those things that you buy for home? Because now I've realized I don't want to clean them. I don't want to do anything like that. And that's why I think I've just told myself, even at the farmer's market, and sugar snap peas are probably my favorite, one of my favorite vegetables. And the cleaning process doesn't take that long, but I feel like it's PTSD, having cleaned it so many goddamn times and shucked so many peas. I never really want to cook it anymore, unless it's like, like prefabbed, already done. But those are never really that good to begin with. Do you guys have anything where you're like, I like it, but because I have to prep it out, I'm not going to cook it at home. A hundred percent. I don't buy any of that stuff anymore. <laughs> none of it. None of it. I don't even look, I don't even look in that direction. Anything, the most I'm going to do is I'm going to cut the stump off of something. Yes. That's it. <laughs> That's it. I'm not peeling anything. Yeah. I'm not doing any of that stuff. What about when Yo. you peel onions? How close do you go? Or do you just rip off like one or two layers of the onion? <laughs> Oh, I got one more. I'm one more than necessary. Yes, yes. Yeah. Me too. There's there's one layer of perfectly good onion getting tossed every time an onion is open. <laughs> Not only that, sure. every time I peel an onion, I have to sort of chastise myself because I'm like, wow, that was a pretty fucking big onion. And now it's like a medium-sized onion. Oh, well. <laughs> like, I'm throwing a third of the onion away and I, I'm trying to be more mindful, but fuck me. I'm not going to peel that goddamn thing that carefully. <laughs> what about garlic? What about garlic? Are you guys buying peeled? Yeah, 100% buying peeled from Asian markets where it's it's so insanely cheap to buy a whole tub of peeled garlic. Peter? No, no. That's the one thing. My wife always buys the whole garlic. I peel it. Uh, I don't cut the stump off, though. I just cut <laughs> it long ways through the stump. I, 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 don't have, I don't have that decision. 
But if you did have that decision on the garlic, what would you do? I probably wouldn't buy garlic. Everything would just be garlicless. <laughs> that is a Pete. That's a hundred percent true. Whenever I have a head of garlic at home, and I'm like, "Does this dish need garlic?" No, it doesn't need garlic. <laughs> put fucking garlic in this thing. I, I I got some shit for this one. Let me ask you guys if you've crossed this line. Uh, my wife found a tub of pre-grated Parmesan cheese in our fridge that I had to buy the other day for Recipe Club. Um, oh, Dave's, <laughs> and uh, she was like. Pre-grated gar- pre-grated Parmesan cheese, huh? Like the old you never would have done this. Meaning, like the pre-kid, like I only cook uh, super nice stuff for my for my girlfriend uh, version of me. Are you uh, are you into the the grated pre-grated Parm, Pete? Will you do that? No, my uh, my daughter actually is like a cheese connoisseur. <laughs> so anything that I try to put by her, like the the least quality cheese she'll eat is the organic string cheese. That's the lowest quality of cheese. That's the lowest quality cheese. Anything wow. else to her is not cheese. So we have like the microplane, the Parmesan, the Pecorino. <laughs> oh my um, God. Yeah, she really won't she really won't eat any of the other stuff. And, and so you had her, so she's five now. Mm-hmm. And where were you in the life of your restaurant, of, of Serpico, when you know you guys you know, decided to to have the baby when you guys were pregnant. Like, where where were you in in work life at that point? Oh, uh, we were like right in the middle. So if if COVID didn't happen, we would have been open nine years uh, this summer, like year five. And that's when I think that the restaurant changed the most uh, after after Charlie came around. How did uh, how how so? Uh, just uh, I mean, I, I think I changed the most. Um, I definitely leaned more on my team and I think for the better. And uh, yeah, I think it's been a good ride. Um, Obviously, everything's changed because of COVID. Uh, We're just doing takeout right now uh, with Pete's Place. And uh, that's been fun, a new challenge. But yeah, I mean, the rest, I feel like the restaurants are always, it's always changing no matter what. Um, I don't know where this guy went. Let's just wait for him to come back. I'm sure he wants to hear this. He doesn't. This is it. Must, it must be something important because he he wouldn't do this. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, let me ask you this though: while he's gone, did he at one point say, "Do you cook normal food or Korean food?" Yeah, normal food. Yeah. <laughs> did he say normal food? Yeah. Well, well, I don't know if it's bad because I I knew exactly what he was talking about. <laughs> I knew exactly what he was talking about too. But like, let's talk a little shit about that. If while while Dave has stepped away for this phone call, this dude just said normal food versus Korean food. <laughs> Korean food. The whole fucking point of this podcast is to not say shit like that anymore. Is to like get rid of that. But like, you knew what he meant, right? Like, you knew normal food means like. What meatloaf and yes, macaroni and cheese salad. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, dude, I thought that was like the whole mission of the Dave Chang show was to normalize, is to to destigmatize that. And this guy throws normal food out there. Anyway, <laughs> um, what did I miss? Sorry, I had to take a care of a Hugo emergency. We were <laughs> we talked some shit about you. Um, yeah, I'll just tell you. You earlier said to. Pete, you were like, do you cook normal food or Korean food? You said that to this dude. Normal food? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what I mean by normal is white people food or Korean food. Well, I we was, know. I, yeah, I was telling Chris, I don't know if it's, it's fucked up that both of us knew exactly what you meant, though. <laughs> yeah. When you said normal people. 
We knew exactly what you meant. We didn't even stop it for a second. But like, uh, so but we're you guys know what I mean. I'm not trying to be disparaging to Korean food or whatever. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's I'm shorthand. sorry to anybody listening that might have been offended. That no, wasn't my I've... my my point. No, no, no. It's I'm saying you've got Stockholm syndrome, man. We, you've it's we've been brutalized to think of it as not normal. But the other thing we were just talking about is when um when they had Charlie, you know, he was about halfway through the run of Serpico and, you know, like that's when things sort of changed as far as like how he ran the restaurant too. So we were just getting into some of that stuff. And I think like, Pete, I think you were saying it affected you, I think in the same way as it affected Dave when, when you had Hugo and like the way you had to, you were at the restaurants or, or depended more on people and things like that all changed. Uh, would you say, like, how would you characterize that, Chang? Hmm. It made me realize what's actually important. Not to be so reductive for both of us or a kind of person in that industry. But we were living, I think, selflessly as chefs trying to get the best out of everyone and pushing towards excellence. But simultaneously, I think we were unintentionally being selfish in terms of what our goals were. It was, I got to worry about me and I got to like, take care of like the only other person I knew that like kept his clothes in a, in a garbage bag was other than me was like Serpico. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know, like it wasn't about anything other than I just got to get through today to get to tomorrow. And then there's no, like, if you ask me when I was 28, what do you think is going to happen in three months? I'd be like, what are you fucking talking about? I just got to get through today to get to tomorrow. And I would be surprised that once you live that life as we did, you don't bottom out, but you experience that like it's relatively hollow. It's not meaningful enough. And at least it was for me. And I would be surprised for most people that I know that if they didn't come to this realization that there's something else and there's more to grow. And I know someone like Pete wants to continue to grow and improve. Self-improvement is a very important thing. And that was just part of the journey. Like you can't, you know, I don't want to liken it to sort of being like a like a born-again Christian, like a lot of people that are big Bible thumpers are that way because they bottomed out at some point in their life. But like, would you have become a like a hardcore Christian or religious person if you didn't? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I almost feel like you can't take away your past experience because what would be weird is if Peter didn't like come to this realization of being a father and being a different kind of chef and being the best manager he can be in a different way. All of those things, I think, were always there. We just didn't know how. Yeah. You know? You just got to live life. Yeah. I mean, I would say for me, the thing that having children did was finally established one firm purpose. I think that growing up, I was such a achievement or goal-oriented person, and that, that bar is always moving. <laughs> you know, it's like, get A's, get take the SAT, get into college, do this next thing try to try to go for this award, try to, you know, get this uh, achievement over here, try to do this thing. Oh, this person has that. You want to get that too, you know, get this many followers, whatever it is. And then having, that's an exhausting fucking life. And it's like, it, you, you find it's sort of aimless in a lot of ways, or at least for me, it was like, all of my purpose is set by somebody else. And having a kid for me was like, oh, this is a simplification in a lot of ways. I only have one purpose now and it's to, to do everything I can for these, these children. So I think that's what you guys are talking about to, to some extent. Yeah. I just think there was no, there was no like clear cut path when you're a young kid, you know, and all you have is cooking. Um, 
you just, yeah, you live the same day every day. But can, and, you, exp- uh, can you express that a little bit there, Pete? Because we're living in 2021 and people just cannot make that comparison as like an even match in the early aughts or late 90s. If you're a cook today versus cook to versus then, like you may have other options as a cook today, but when you were cooking back then and you took it seriously, there was no other fucking options. You were only cooking. And yeah, trying to yeah. get a drink after service <laughs> and smoke as many cigarettes as you could throughout the day. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, a big target. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, it was all just about getting getting your stuff done. It was, I think the difference between now and the difference uh, back then is now I feel like everyone, uh, the, the, the restaurants are set up like businesses and they want people to succeed. Or this is the way that I view it. I view it as I want... Anyone that walks into my restaurant that wants to work there, I want them to succeed. And I want to set them up for success. And if we can't do that as a team, then it's our failure. But I feel like back in the day, anyone that walked in that door, everyone wanted you to to, to fail. 100%. Any, Any new person that walked in the door, whether it be like the new runner the new busser, the new dishwasher, they were, everyone around them was like, I want to make you fucking quit. And I just don't, obviously that's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable model, but I think that that was the biggest difference. And I don't think that that's the way restaurants are run anymore. And obviously I think that's a a great thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Completely agree with that. Different times, man. It's, it's, you can talk about this, but it's really hard to compare something that didn't happen too long ago. But like, I mean, the days of working at Boulay when Peter was there, that's never going to happen again, ever. I mean, and that's good and bad, but, you know, I I think that we're a reflection of the things that happen around us. And again, just to reiterate, like, I think if we didn't come out of that, that would be like, that would be the surprise. I think you, you almost have to go on this journey if you're going to like live the way you live and work the way you do that at some point you realize there's got to be more than just doing it this way, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, ultimately, I think our goals have always been the same. At least for me, it was where you just want to be part of a winning team and help other people. And that's why I think it goes back to not just helping other people. You want someone to feel good, right? We are givers at the end of the day. And, and I think, again, me being a dad and a husband has allowed me to sort of really reconnect with that idea of why I wanted to cook to begin with, right? It was like, oh, I can make something and someone will enjoy it. That's as pure as that, you know, it's so simple. Mm -hmm. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. So usually on these dads podcasts, we, we and we should get into this now, We 
<laughs> we break it down into things we've done well, things we've done poorly, and then uh, some some uh, helpful hints and recipe type of stuff. And I and I uh, I have a thing I did well slash poorly that can maybe kick us off as it kind of pertains to what we're talking about. We're talking about priorities and and focusing on your family and 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 work life balance. And uh, I'll go first. This thing I did well as a parent also indicates something I did terrible as a parent. I was sitting here in my my office working the other day, and my daughter Ruby came in, and she was like, "Hey, Baba, can you come play?" And I said, "Oh, I can't. I can't really play right now. I, I have to work." And <laughs> she looked at me and she said, "You already have enough money. You don't have to work. You're wasting money if you don't spend the money you have before you make more." And I was like, "Oh, that's." hard logic to fucking argue against. <laughs> and it's a terrible thing for me as a father to have been like, no, 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 kid, I can't work, play with you. I want to work because every moment I want every, I don't want her to ever grow up with a memory of me saying, no, I can't play with you right now. Like I, that's my end goal, but it, I fail, fall short all the time. It's a victory to me because like, that's unassailable fucking logic. <laughs> that's a wonderful thing that like my daughter came up with that like, hey, you should use the money you have before you make more money. And I was like, that's called living paycheck to paycheck, kid, and uh, we're not going back to that lifestyle. So that's my that was my parent victory slash loss. Do you guys have any parenting victories or, or losses you want to commemorate? I'll talk about a loss. <laughs> um, so uh, we're not we're a pet free home currently, and uh, I had this idea. I don't I don't know what I was doing. I think it was like uh, I had like a day off or a couple days off or something. And I was like, hey, Charlie, we're going to get you a fish. So excited about it, you know. So mm-hmm. we went to uh, we went to PetSmart. Um, we looked, we found like a, a beta fish, you know, blue, beautiful. And, <laughs> uh, and then we had to do, we talked to one of the sales reps about, you know, how to take care of this fish. One fish, really small, probably like two inches long. And... Uh, <laughs> They said we needed like a five-gallon tank. Uh, we needed to buy all this other stuff, condition the water. A five-gallon tank for a yeah, beta fish? What yeah, the fuck kind of exactly. mansion and all is that? The, and all these things. So it's me, my wife, my daughter, and all these things that were just piling up in my head. And I'm like, all right, I guess we can do this. And my wife was like, well, you're not going to do this. Like, you're not going to be able to do this. You don't have the patience. And I said, yeah, you're right. We're just going to kill this fish in in the next three days. Because I was basically like, hey, we'll just buy some like pebbles and stuff, fill up some sink water, throw it in a fish bowl. You know, I was like, we don't even need to buy a fish bowl. I'll just use a a glass at home. And uh, and then, of course, (laughs) of course, all the stuff piled up, all the work piled up. And I was like, hey, Charlie, sorry, we can't get a fish. So we left. Oh my um, god! That is, that is, that is brutal. Pretty, I'm real, sorry, real life. The, hashtag real life. You took her to the pet store. We're like, here's all this stuff. Sorry, kid. Yeah. <laughs> this is a lesson. Uh, have Have either of you ever had a a pet fish to which you felt any sort of emotion? Though, like, I don't think that like a pet fish. I don't know. I, I used to buy get them at the school fair. Do you guys remember that? Oh yeah, in the yeah. bag, the fish yeah, toss the or whatever. Yeah, yeah, ping pong. It's like ping pong, you know, yeah, beer yeah. pong before you know for kids, you know, like early training. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I remember doing that. I had one actually live of the like the six hundred that I brought home. Like one actually made it pretty far. <laughs> and the surprise really wasn't that. It was I remember being like it died. I was sad, and I 
put it in the garbage and it jumped out of the garbage and survived. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I remember that as a kid. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, I was I like, this, this goldfish didn't want to die. And then it oh. died and I flushed him down the toilet instead of the trash can. Yeah. Um, anyway. All right. Um, you, you got you got a victory or a, a, a loss for us, Chang? Yeah, I think it's both. Um, last week was the second week of potty training for Hugo, and I thought I was hot shit <clears throat> because he was like <laughs> pee, and he's like peeing. And he's like poo. We put him on the thing, and he pooed. You know, and I was like, oh my god, this is <laughs> this is easy. Wrong. <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> He, he's just now weaponized peeing to the point where um, when he's in timeout or he's getting like, you know, told that he, he did something wrong, he just saves his pee now for when he's done something wrong. So he doesn't, he gets out of that. <laughs> by doing, so when he's by in timeout, he just is like, pee. And, <laughs> you know. I don't know what to do. He's smarter than I am already. And he's holding me hostage over his pee and potty training. Um, so the good, the good thing is I think I've been there. It's like, it's my only job. It's like, I have a, I set a timer now. Every time I drink something, it's like 45 minutes. I'm there because I'm home. And I feel like I've been really diligent. But simultaneously, he's now just, I don't want to say regressed, but now he just, yesterday, he's just like, I, I was holding him and he's like, pee. And he just, all over me. That is incredibly <laughs> advanced. He has, he's two years old and he has developed the fake a heart attack to get the guard's attention in prison trick. Yes. <laughs> he's yes. figured out that exact <laughs> trick to be like, ah, oh, I have to pee. I'm in timeout. And That's he does incredible. it now after we put his diapers on at night to go to bed. And right when he hits the crib to go to bed, he goes, pee, pee. <laughs> And I don't know what to do anymore, so I'm 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 flummoxed, and I consider it a total loss because he's out. You know, he's just more wily than his old man because he knows that will prevent him from going to bed, and he can stay up. So he's weaponized it, and I'm losing. So it's a big loss for me. <laughs> uh, Pete, tell me it gets easier with a five year old on the uh, potty training. Oh, the potty training, yeah, potty training, absolutely. But someone's going to be uh, the the head wiper. It's either going to be you or Grace that Hugo is going to want. Hey, I want, I want, I want Appa to wipe me, and then you're just going to be the guy. I'm, yeah. I'm the guy. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, hey, do you want your mom to wipe? She's like, no, nope. I'm nope. the guy. <laughs> is that true, Chris? Is that the same way with Ruby? Yeah, there's, a, it's, it's, it's definitely true. Somebody gets becomes the wiper, and it's like, um, Jamie will be like, hey, I can wipe you. She's like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want you. I want Baba. And I was feeling really annoyed with it. I was like, I don't want to wipe your ass all the time. You can do it yourself. And then I had like a crazy flashback, a, a, a very distinctive flashback to making my dad sit there in the bathroom with me as a kid while I did my business so he could wipe me. And I was like, oh yeah, karma's, karma's very real, guys. Karma's very real. <laughs> I, I, I got a question for the two of you. As parents, did you guys start off with a standard of I'm only going to feed my child this, this, and this, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And then did it go off the rails? And now you're like, like the other day, I just like I was never going to feed Hugo like, like artificial chicken stock, like from Bouillon. And I'm like, mm -hmm. God, fuck. 
I just like, fine, here. And he's like, this is so good. I was like, (laughs) 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 yeah, completely. Like all of that stuff. I think that, I mean, Pete, you'd tell me if it's the same with you, but like, I think the business we're in and the backgrounds we come from, like, I think we start off with the highest possible standards of like, no, no, no. Like this has to be grown by a very special blind nun. Like it's got to be perfect. This perfect. That she'll never taste buttered noodles, shit like that. And then you're like, eat this bag of chips and stop talking. (laughs) Just like whatever, whatever it takes, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Same boat. Uh, we had the idea that like, you know, only organic vegetables and, uh, grass fed milk. And now it's just like, Hey, anything, if you eat or drink anything, I'm happy. Yeah. Especially with like bread too. Like I was like, Oh, he's only going to eat sourdough. And the other day he's just, you know, just like wonder bread. And he loves, I'm just, I don't know what to do. Uh, it's 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 happening, but also I'm just sort of surprised that you know Hugo doesn't like vegetables at all, and he really only eats brown food. He's eat the brown food trend <laughs> way before anything else, and he really is on an only carb diet. That's it: bread, <laughs> pasta, rice, with nothing, nothing. If you put anything in it, he now doesn't even eat it. He's like, it's out. Pete, let me ask you this. My daughter is sort of the same way. Like, I can't, I mean, maybe, maybe Chang, this is not what you're actually saying, but like, she doesn't like her foods mixed. Like, she'll eat the thing that's supposed to go on the rice and she'll eat the rice. And if I'm eating them mixed together, she'll eat mine. But like, she does not want them to mix together. And that's like, I'm worried about her as an Asian child. I'm like, the shit goes on your rice, kid. Like, don't eat them separately. Did your, did your daughter ever have this? Does she have any objection to like merging foods? I don't, uh, yes, a hundred percent. She wants everything. Uh, the, the set I always do is basically like either broccoli, like boiled broccoli or cauliflower or cucumber. So like some type of vegetable that's usually raw or like quick boiled. And, uh, and then like anything else, it doesn't matter whatever else, but I, (laughs) she always goes for the cucumber, the sliced cucumber, uh, the blanched broccoli, cauliflower, or, um, uh, she loves uh, sweet potato too, but that's all she wants. She just wants that as is. She'll eat like the purple sweet potatoes roasted. And then anything else I just figure is like, uh, I see it as like a side dish. And I'm like, hey, if you eat this grilled cheese sandwich, I won. You know? Yeah. <laughs> if you mix, if you mixed, uh, if you mix some of the broccoli in with the sweet potato, does she eat it? No. She won't like it nearly as much. Oh God, I feel so much relief. You guys saw this. this I, I thought I was the only one. No, no mixing, dude. I was like, Hugo's like so crazy. And Grace is like, he gets this from you because I'm like, I didn't realize I'm a picky eater, but she says I am. And Hugo, if anything touches his rice, he's like, what's happening? <laughs> what's happening? And I'll say it over and over and over. What's, what's happening? happening? <laughs> ah, something's wrong. Yeah. Oh. What is... um. Well, actually, I don't actually know about this for you, Chang, but what is what does dinner time look like in your respective houses? Are you guys all sitting down for dinner at the same time as the kids? Do you eat uh, your meal, same meal? What is what is well, dinner yeah, time? Yeah, I look try like? to prep dinner and breakfast before the Zoom calls start going on or if I have to go to work, work. But like today I did a whole boiled chicken and I did the chicken breast for lunch, which they're eating right now. And then I have the meat picked and and I'm gonna, and I have some noodles, and I'm gonna make like Korean chicken soup with some zucchini and the non, some more fresher, more fresh mushrooms, <laughs> and um, that'll be for dinner. And I almost always start 
to reheat dinner and serve it by 4.50, 4.55. I would prefer to eat at 7, 7.30, but as you yeah. guys probably know, I don't have a schedule anymore. It is Hugo's schedule. And if he doesn't eat at 5 o'clock, like on the nose, there's no bath time and there's no chance he's going to bed. So I eat at 5 o'clock now. Yeah. Always. What about you, him. Pete? I mean, we've had, some, we've had some dads on here who have... And I know lots of people who do this. Who's like the kids' dinner time, and then our, our, our the adults' dinner time. I think Wiley was saying he does that too. What what was it like for you, Pete? Oh, uh, we eat. Uh, oh my God, we don't even have a schedule. So uh, <laughs> every day it's uh, Charlie does school, Zoom school, and then she has a break a brain break from ten thirty to twelve thirty. So that's when we uh, get ready. We walk to work, and then I usually get to work. Go down the list of stuff she wants for lunch. She says no to everything. And then I just end up throwing something together and saying, hey, you have to eat this. And then 1230, uh-huh. she has school. And then while she does school, I, uh, I'm i working. And then I usually try to leave work after the rush is over, uh, which is anywhere between 7 and 730. And then we walk home. So we usually eat dinner at around 8 o'clock, which is really late. When she was younger, what what time did she eat dinner? Uh, when we she was younger, we probably ate dinner at six o'clock, like pretty consistently. You know how good an eight o'clock dinner sounds? It sounds so wonderful to eat when I'm actually hungry. It sounds fucking wonderful. <laughs> the problem with eating dinner at five o'clock is like I want to eat again at like nine thirty. <laughs> yeah, like when I'm I would saying. normally eat dinner. It's a real problem. <laughs> Fourth meal, man. Uh, the I'm also asking because like. The the sort of sitting we're, we're having a, we have a huge problem with my daughter. I mean, my son is still strapped into his seat, and he's already exhibiting similar tendencies to her. But like, she cannot sit still. Like, she gets up, she'll take a bite of food, walk over to her art table, draw a picture for five minutes, come back, take a bite, leave again, and it's just like unending getting up and doing shit during dinner. And I started to realize maybe, not maybe, it's definitely my fault as everything else is because. I get up at dinner all the time. And I don't know if you guys are like this at all, but it's just like, I go to the kitchen because I want to, you know, add this thing to it. Oh, this thing, I want to, I want to grab another sauce for this. I want to do this thing. And I'm up and down from the table constantly. And I'm wondering if, do you guys have this issue? I mean, I guess Hugo's not just getting up and leaving yet, but is Charlie like a sit through dinner at the table kid? No, not even a little bit. Uh, she, I'm the same way you are, Chris, where I'll like get up like 35 times during, during dinner. Um, I grew up where it was like no distractions, dinner at five 30, no TV, no nothing. You sat with the family, you talked about your day. We couldn't be the more, we're so opposite. You know, my mm-hmm. wife will like be like watching something on her phone. I'll be up and down <laughs> looking at my phone. I'll have like a basketball game on TV. And then my daughter will have a mouthful of like broccoli riding on her indoor scooter, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's pandemonium. But, like I as long as she eats, I won. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dave, are you? Uh, do you get up and down? Are you? Can you sit? You don't sit through. A, I mean, I know you can't just sit through a meal. No, because the biggest issue for me is we sit down and we try to eat at five o'clock. I am finished eating at five o two. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Just sit here now and wait for you I people? mean, here's another thing people have to learn. Like, when you're cooking in restaurants, like, I, for me, I've carried it over. You, you, I, I, it's very few times because I was always in the weeds as a cook. I never had the time to be one of those super fast, awesome cooks that could sit down and really enjoy themselves. I'd be like, oh, 
you know, on the go and I'm done. Like I, I'm trying to learn to slow down how to eat, but it's, you know, and if I, I eat you. faster, then I can help put away the dishes, wash, and then help feed Hugo. So I'm, I'm not even sitting down. I eat. The only time I'm sitting down is to throw as much food in my face as possible. And then to like, you know, pinch hit, help around. <laughs> That's so that's so funny. My my daughter will sit around the table and rank everybody's speed of eating. She'll be like, Baba, you're fast. Grandpa, very fast. Mama, you're slow. <laughs> Grandpa, you're slow. Uh yeah, the the fast eating, that that is absolutely a problem. I'm with you, Chang. I finish eating and I'm like, great. Now I have to sit here, wait for you. Um, should we do you guys got any uh Pete, what's the what's the What's like your your secret weapon? I mean, you talked about the broccoli, the cauliflower, but like, what's a give me a give me a, a recipe dish cooking life hack that's like uh, your your secret weapon at home? Ooh, um, well, be, just because my daughter likes simple food, uh, I try to do things in like batches, and she's not like me. I don't like to eat things uh, multiple times. Like, I I'll eat leftovers, but I don't enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Um. But my daughter, she like loves, she'll eat, she'll eat the same thing all the time. So whenever I buy things or whenever I make something, like if I do like a boiled sweet potato or a boiled egg, I always do way more than I, I know I need. So if I boil mm-hmm. eggs, I'll do six eggs because um, I know that she'll eat one the, one the next day and one the next day. So I'm like, okay, if I have that, if I have sweet potato, if I have cucumber, um, I can always just like make something happen for a meal. Um, with, uh, you know, no time and, uh, and she has no problem eating, you know, a boiled egg three days in a row. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's, that's kind of my secret, like meal prepping for a five-year-old. That's pretty good. Yeah. Because I I think that we, I I'm with you. Like I get in the trap of like, no, I can't feed her the same thing two days in a row, but the kids are like, just feed me the same thing every day. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Just give it to me. Give me the same thing. I like it. You know, can I ask you guys a question? When you guys give your ba- kids baths or showers, do they always pee immediately <laughs> in it? Or is it just my son? Like the moment he touches the bath, it is just, I, I don't know. It's the craziest thing. It's instantaneous. <laughs> my- <laughs> no, my, my son did that for a while when he was a baby where he's just like, it, uh, it, it was instantaneous. Like his little butt touched the water and then just pee started shooting out of his penis at me. But he, not not so much anymore. I mean, uh, what, what about you, Pete? No, uh, Charlie, she's never peed in the bathtub. Uh, I think she's pooped oh, She doesn't know she's missing, once. dude. She doesn't know yeah. she's missing. <laughs> <laughs> no, because she, I think from an early age, she viewed bath time as playtime. Mm. So... What she'll do is when she was younger, she'd say, I have to go to the bathroom. So we'd have to get her out of the bathtub onto the toilet, which is like, I guess, a better scenario than than uh, peeing in the bathtub. But um, (laughs) yeah, she always viewed it as playtime. And I think that's why um, she was always focused on playing. Is this a new thing for I need some professional help. No, like, I think it sort of has been, but like, I don't know. I even make him go pee before he goes bath and he goes, yet he still has reserves. (laughs) He stores a little bit extra <laughs> just for the bath. Uh, I'm really in a conundrum trying to how to break this habit. So, <laughs> um, what about what about uh, on the the recipe side of things, Dave? You have, I mean, the last few times we've talked about it, you've uh, you've seemed to be losing. I'm not your, really making anything because he's only eating bread right now, really, and peanut butter. But he doesn't <laughs> like the 
on the bread. Because then he goes, what's happening? <laughs> you just, I feel like you're so defeated by this. <laughs> so does he just eat like a spoon? He puts his finger in it, he eats it, and then he takes a bite of the bread. That's what he oh, wants to do. Nice. <laughs> and he calls, he calls ketchup pizza. Ketchup is ketchup. also his favorite thing in the world. That doesn't, I don't, I, that's not for me. I think it comes from my wife, but it's a real problem. We got to break his ketchup love of ketchup. Um, yeah, but what's happening? It cuts deep, man. That is a deep. That's, that's, I mean, that's that kid can just eat ketchup. It's his favorite. I'm embarrassed. I'm just going to admit it. His favorite thing to eat is ketchup right now and maybe forever. Uh, I have the opposite of a useful life hack, but I'll talk a little bit about something that I cooked for Ruby recently. Um, Ruby's before in the before time, she was in a preschool where you know from time to time you have like potlucks i don't know if you had this peep but like when they're when the kids are all together you gotta have potluck fundraisers i realized pretty early sending my kid to school that like doesn't matter what the tuition that you pay is they're always gonna just ask you for more money at every (laughs) turn so like we have these fundraiser things we bring potlucks and uh i would always you know puff out my chest and be like i'm gonna bring i'm gonna bring something that's not pizza and macaroni and cheese and the stuff they always get, you know, I'm going to bring Japanese curry to the school, which I did. And I would get there and I would feel a weird flashback to like being a kid and being embarrassed of my food. And I'd always have to tell my wife to like, go put the food on the table. Cause I was like, I don't want anybody to talk about what the weird curry thing is. And I would never get close to it. Um, so <laughs> this is something I, I always, I always do like whenever it's time to, and she's in a little tiny preschool pod. Now I try to cook things that like, I'm I'm proud that she likes. I'm I'm proud that she'll eat these things and as part of her 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 life. Uh, so it was Chinese New Year a couple weeks ago, and we um, I decided to make dumplings for her and her her you know couple of classmates she's still with. And I also had the dumb idea that I would make them completely from scratch. So I made wrappers. I rolled them out with my wife. I folded them everything from scratch, and uh, I found myself like super nervous that this group of four year olds was not going to like it. And I was just like really (laughs) embarrassed about being a 38 year old man worrying that like some white kids weren't going to like my food again. And it was fucking weird, but it was a victory for me because at the end of the day, everybody liked it. Some of them had never had dumplings before. My daughter was really proud to have them there. And she came home and said like, all the kids really liked it. I think she sensed that I was nervous about it. And then the annoying part was she was like, Baba, I think you should start making those dumplings more. They're good to eat. And I was like, no, I'm never oh, making man. them no, again. No, 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 no. Chris, Chris, I looked again. on those kids' uh, Instagram page, and that's not what they actually thought. I'm in the, fear, I'm in the group chat, man. And dude, I know all about your dumplings already, bro. Dave's in the group chat with Ruby's classmates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's not a life hack. Don't don't do that. Don't make dumplings from scratch unless you're a paranoid. I, I got a good tip that isn't really new, but I, I think one of the things that again is weird. Hugo eating brown food. He's now eating oatmeal again, and I now just soak whole milk on some steel cut oats the night before, and it's just so much easier. <laughs> you're making muesli, dude. Is that muesli? You're, you're making muesli. Oh, no. Dave Chang is a muesli man now. Well, I don't eat it. God. <laughs> but but I think it's, it's you know, I, I put a little, you know, a little like. But it just hydrates the oats and then he just eats it cold like that? Is that what? Is that, he loves that texture, man. That mushy. Interesting. And it's a better texture than when it's hot. And I yeah. think it's a better texture, but 
Because when it's hot, it gets gluey, right? It gets gluey when yeah, it's I don't, hot. Yeah, I, I actually much prefer it soaked overnight. I, I think the way, way it hydrates is just different. And it's a lot, it has that slime of mountain yam a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But he likes it. And, and, and maybe he likes it because I've been putting some maple syrup in it. <laughs> maybe he likes it because I've been putting maple syrup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might be it. That might be um, it. Hey, Pete, tell me about the book that you've been working on. When's it coming oh. out? Wow. Uh, I think we're talking. So I'm doing a book with Norton uh, Publishing and uh, Drew Laser is uh, helping me write it. It's uh, going to be called Learning Korean. Um, we're actually have a we have a big uh, month ahead. We're doing all the photo shooting because of COVID. Uh, we're doing it at my house. Um, so it's going to be like a Korean home cookbook. Um, I wanted to kind of uh, make it accessible to like uh, newer cooks. Um, so like. You kind of get your pantry items and then you're able to buy like your fill-in items at like your, you know, Whole Foods or Wegmans or wherever, your local grocery store. So it's not all uh, like super Korean food. It's kind of like Korean American food um, that you can just kind of whip up at home. And it's a lot of the stuff that Charlie's been raised on. And uh, yeah, so we're hoping, I think we're looking for next summer, summer of 2022. Are some of those things that you've been working on on the book uh, sort of popping up on on Pete's place menu? Uh, no, uh, a little, a little bit. Um, not not necessarily though. We're uh, I'm trying to keep it like pretty separate. Um, you know, we have like the professional, and the, for Pete's place, we're we're focusing on things that like travel well. So it's two like right. completely different challenges. So for my uh, for learning Korean, it's kind of meals that you can whip up pretty fast. And then for Pete's place, it's things that travel well. Um, and uh, yeah, things that are like we can keep kind of keep a little more affordable. What kind of stuff is that, Pete? Like we talk, I mean, Chang talks about what travels well all the time, but like I'd love to hear like what have you found delivers travels takes out best in terms of of the food you're serving. Um, I think a lot of the stuff is like, we're doing like some, uh, things that like can be either reheated or eaten at room temperature. So we do like a couple of different bibimbaps. We do some, we do some, um, uh, uh, some noodles with broth that, but we like package them separately. Um, and just like a lot of, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I've been working on these, uh, rice cake fries, uh, with like glutinous rice and potato. So, um, they're actually really good room temperature and they stay crispy. Um, just, just things like that. Um, is your book going to have, I mean, I wish I not wish it's just, you have so much knowledge about food, right? And I want people to know, like, does some of your ingenuity, because like you're talking about the rice fries, like, and I, and I know when you think about something, you're going to work on it, work on it, maybe take a break and then come back and work on it, work on it. But your mind is full of like hundreds of these things that are just like very specific Pete Serpico techniques. Like you create dishes that are Pete Serpico original technique type of things. Does the book have a lot of those Serpico things that I know know how to explain? Because, you know, whether people understand or not, I view a lot of what you do as truly original and um, it takes a lot of expertise to be able to take something a lot of people do and put your fingerprints on it. And that's, I mean, I've known you're cooking for a long time, but that's just always what it is. But is the book get to 
get, does the audience get to see like that level of like ninja expertise? Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a good, that's a really good question. So we, um, we tried to make the book very accessible. And I think that I do have a lot of techniques and ideas uh, that are implemented in the book and in the recipes, but we try not to talk about it. Right. Because I think mm. that we're what we're trying to do. So I basically think about it like this with a recipe. I'm like, hey, will my little sister make it? Because she's like trying to start learning how to cook. Like, especially during COVID, she's been like cooking for herself. And uh, I want to like, I don't want to scare anyone away with like ingredients or techniques or anything like that. So we tried to keep it like, hey, I don't want to talk about like why it's easier to peel an egg when it's boiled harder or uh, when the egg is older. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to focus on, hey, you get your egg. This is the way that you do it. And don't ask why. <laughs> well, you but but it, I want people to know if they're not, if they don't know, to, you can learn a lot about cooking from Peter. And I think on his social media channels, he's always dropping some very good dro- like nuggets of wisdom. And that's why it's, it's like, I think it's a very difficult thing because I know what you're doing. But I, I want to know, it's like, how do you, how do you make that approachable? Be, and, and you do it, like, for example, when you gave that whole lesson on, on, on Instagram about cooking fish with parchment paper, mm. right? Can you just explain that? Because if, if you're not familiar, this is like a great example of Peter being an extraordinarily good teacher. And I think you are one of the very, very best because of how you internalize it and you're able to explain it in a way, as you say, it's like, I'm not trying to tell you, it's just the way it is because it's a, it's a, it's like a lot of the way you cook, I'm now like thinking to myself, it's like new math, right? It's like a different way. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit faster. It's a little bit more efficient and you don't have to think about it. And I think the parchment on fish is a perfect example of this. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those, I, it's like, okay, so you can teach someone how to cook a piece of fish properly, a crispy skin piece of fish. And like, you don't always have to have a screaming hot pan. But I think the difference is, is that like, there's all these other variables that are involved, like your pan, just your pan, for instance, like your pan has to be heavy, but people don't want to hear that because if people have a light pan, they want to use, they want to use their aluminum pan. But if you use your aluminum pan, then you got your kitchen pan screaming hot. And there's way too many, there's way, just way too many variables. So the way that I'm trying to convey that information is just by cutting out the variables. So if you use something like parchment, uh, it just acts as like a piece of paper that's in between your pan and your skin so that you don't even have to worry about what kind of pan you have, whether it's cast iron, aluminum, uh, stainless steel, blue steel. Like there's not, there's not that variable. And like, if you ask a lot of home cooks, they probably don't even know what their pan is made out of. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to cut that part out because then you could go down the rabbit hole of like, oh, what's the best pan? And like, there's no really, there's no answer for that. And I just want to, like I said, like I'm trying to set people off for success. You know, just go a little bit deeper. What does the parchment paper do, right? Like what, what happens if I'm cooking, you know, sea bass skin side down and aluminum or blue steel pan, if I'm a home cook, I'm not, Will I get crispy skin and will it burn? All of these things. What happens? Well, it's just there's still fat. There's fat in the skin. And people don't think that um, you cook 
you cook fish the same way you would almost cook like a like a duck breast, where you want to render the skin. You cook out the water and you cook out the fat, and that's what makes your crispy skin. So um, I think uh, what a lot of people where they run into trouble is they try to cook it into too hot a pan. So because of that, they burn the skin before it's rendered and the, all the water is cooked out. So I think the, what the parchment paper does, it actually uh, just subconsciously, you're not going to cook your fish at a screaming hot temperature because then you're just going to watch your parchment burn. So uh, it's it's kind of like, it, it's almost like, yeah, like mind tricks that we're playing on people too to make them be a better cook. Pete, I, I'm telling you, man, I think about you a lot about how you cook and the best way I could describe it to anyone that's listening is there's a lot of different ways to do math. You've created a new updated version of new math for people <laughs> to learn. And there's nothing you just said that I hope people like take for granted. Like it's incredibly complex. There's a ton of finesse and a lot of original thinking in what you just said, particularly for a home cook and again, for a professional cook. And if you just were listening to this, I hope you got a glimpse of what kind of like thought and thinking that Peter Serpico has as, as one of the, one of the, the top guys out there. Yang, what do you think? Well, that's, that's what I was just going to say. That's, that's me right now. Cause I'm a little lost. Are you saying you're cooking fish in the pan with a layer of parchment in the pan as it's on the stove? Is that what we're talking about? Is that the yeah. technique? So what? Pan, so My mind pan, is completely fucking blown right now. <laughs> I'm exactly, <laughs> Dave's describing this thing where he's like, oh, I hope that if you're listening and you like know about food, like you're catching on. Like I'm losing my, that's crazy. That's like completely foreign to me. And I think like the logic you just said of like, yes, you can do it in a not ripping hot pan, but if it's heavy, you know, but most people have an aluminum pan, like all of that, I, I, I'm with you, Dave. Like, I don't think people quite understand the amount of information Pete just conveyed. <laughs> like, that yeah, is an it's incredible like, oh, you know, You're like, oh, you just did a 360 dunk. I see that all the time. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> this this is a, like really important shit. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's wild. I'm I uh, yeah, I must have missed that, but that's that's incredible. I think I think Dave is is completely and right. I, I think I, like, I'd only seen that technique in, in one kitchen in the world, and that was at a hibiscus under Claude Bosi. But when you think about, for me, if you want to get like really in deep of where Claude learned how to cook and where some of the chefs that Peter's learned how to cook and just the thinking of that food, it's not a surprise to me Claude Bosi and Peter Serpico have come up with like a similar method of cooking fish because it sort of derives from, you know, this Passardian like view of food. And, and, and if I had to think of that, like that's the best compliment I can give a lot of chefs is like that that kind of intuitive cooking, but it's not just like, I, I only feel it. It's a lot of fucking thought that goes into it. And I guarantee you, without knowing this book and knowing Serpico, this book is going to be chock full of incredibly helpful tips. So I'm I'm incredibly excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my mind is- Did I just overthink that for you, Pete? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Pete, no, are you no, like, oh been, God, now I've got to rewrite this book because no, Dave says it has to be this thing. <laughs> no, it's been it's been a great journey and we're like close to the end and like I'm really excited for it to come out. And like like I what I told uh, Melanie, who's uh, who's also helping with the book, is that like, I don't know. I I don't know. I've never written a cookbook before and I don't. I don't know why everyone expects you just to know what's going on, like how to do it, you know, from like step one to to the end. So it's just been a learning process and it's been great. And I appreciate that everyone's been patient with me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, 
Is there anything else you want to talk about, Pete? Oh uh, no, I think we touched on everything. It was uh, it was awesome to catch up with you guys. I'm glad you could join us, and let's do it again soon enough. And stay safe. And uh, what, what the the title of the book uh, coming out summer 2022 is uh, learning Korean. Learning Korean, very good. And Pete's place, order from it, Philadelphia area. Hopefully, more places so we can eat this. <laughs> um, that's it, man. Thanks, Thanks Pete. Pete. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We are dead. We are dead. We are dead. We have children, so we are dead. Well, that was our episode of Dads with Pete. Um, please, please pre order his cookbook. He is one of the very, very best and brightest. Uh, Give us five stars on our iTunes Apple page. I think I got that right, Isaac. Anyway, stay tuned for another podcast this week. Stay safe, everybody. And thank you, Pete Serpico. And go get yourself a French dip. Bye.